What's up? I'm Bobby Jones. And I'm Aftal Aziz. We're two friends who decided to quit our jobs in corporate life to follow our purpose and passion in helping inspire people to find ways to use their talents for good. Together, we're co-authors of the best-selling book, Good is the New Cool, Market Like You Give a Damn. And we welcome you back to the Good is the New Cool podcast in partnership with Soho House. Featuring some of the world's most inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and activists, we'll delve deep into their unique stories and the one thing they have in common, the desire and the courage to transform our world for the better. In this episode, we will be joined by the brilliant and inspirational artist, Hank Willis-Thomas. I um, have done projects centering around history, popular culture, advertising and politics throughout the world over the past 15 years. And his friend and Four Freedoms collaborator, Emma Nusso. I work with Four Freedoms on the programming side of things. I came to this project about a year ago and have been working with Hank ever since. Hank and Emma joined Bobby in the studio to discuss their work in putting the public back into public art. They believe that citizenship is defined by participation, not by ideology. And through their organization for freedoms, they aim to use art to encourage civic engagement and discourse into what is freedom in the 21st century. So Bobby, I'm really, really pleased that we're unpacking the topic of art on this podcast. You know, so far we've had fashion designers, we've had people who worked in different mediums like music and, you know, other other forms. But art really is like the purest form of creativity. And, and contemporary art in particular is one of those worlds which, I have to be honest, I used to find mystifying, you know. And what's strange about art is that there's no rules. And therefore, it's one of the most simultaneously complex but also exciting things to kind of get your head around. Um, go and check out Hank Willis Thomas's art online. Just go to Google Images and search it. And what I was blown away with was just the power and the simplicity and the sophistication of the work that he's creating. This is a guy who really understands advertising and marketing and all the tricks that brands play. And he's so, so smart in the way he deconstructs all of it, how he subverts the usual channels of advertising and marketing to make you think about politics and what it means to be a citizen. Yeah, and and I think that that is essentially what great art should do. You know, to your point, it should provoke, it, sh- it should make you question things. It should illuminate the connection between things that you may not have seen a connection to before. Um, and it should spark dialogue. And I think his work is doing that. And, and, and he understands that that is part of his role as an artist. You know, that's one of the things that I think is, is super exciting about having this conversation with him and, and Emma is is this idea of what role does art play in our society right now. Yeah, there's so many artists working in social justice issues today, um, doing really interesting things, but I've never come across an artist who has decided to enter the political process so directly with Four Freedoms, initially, I think it was a it was a PAC. Uh, for those of you outside of America, a political action committee, which is a way for usually corporations to donate money to candidates, and has honestly been one of the most controversial facets of American democracy, where you could argue corporations have been allowed to take over political discourse through their donations. And the fact that he and his colleagues decided to start a PAC that's artist-driven 
Um, I think now it's evolved into a nonprofit, but to use that money to buy billboards and then work with artists and nonprofit groups in those cities to put up really provocative pieces of art, not to endorse one candidate or the other, but to really spark a lively debate about the issues and the broader context, I thought was just an amazing hack of conventional systems of politics and conventional systems of marketing to, you know, to use billboards as the medium to get that across. So, Bobby, what are some of Hank's works that have really kind of, you know, connected with you? Um, you know, Unbranded was a previous work of his, um, which he used images from advertisements targeting African-Americans between 1968 uh, to the present. Um, and in this piece, he removed all the products and logos from the images to kind of really zone in on the way that people have been represented uh, in art, in, in popular culture. And then his branded series, you know, had really talked about this idea of visual representation of race to the African-American body and the way that it deliberately uses branded logos and corporate signs and shows this connection to the commodification of Black male bodies and how it's been used in lots of ways to to generate wealth, you know, from a capitalist standpoint. And so there's this real interesting uh, recognition of the power of advertising and what it can do and what it can be in its best form while also at the same time recognizing the shadow side of it um, and the impacts that it's had on specific communities. Yeah, he's just a really clever, subtle provocateur, you know. It's not just the visual that he's subverting, it's the systems that he's flipping on its head as well. So I can't think of many people more suited to this podcast than Hank and Emma. Their work combines so much of what we care about, and I'm really intrigued to hear what they have to say. So here they are, Hank Willis-Thomas and Emma Nutso. Before we get into Four Freedoms, Hank, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into this creative space as an artist? Well, I think the best way to find your way into the art world is to have a modicum of creative ability and very few other skills. So I uh, kind of fell into it, so to speak, and never could find my way out. I studied photography at New York University and at California College of the Arts and was always interested in issues related to representation, largely influenced by the work of my mother, Deborah Willis, who's a photo historian and artist and curator. I wound up as a photographer's assistant and working on film sets for a number of years. In many of those cases, I wound up being fortunate enough to be in spoof areas, working at the Chris Rock Show and Saturday Night Live Film Unit, where I got to see kind of media made that was commenting on media. Okay. But also that made me hyper aware of the impact of media on the way we see ourselves in the world. And so I made a lot of work about advertising and then work that actually uses advertising and decoding the language of advertising to see what's really at stake. And so more recently, I've been thinking a lot about public space and how public space is so dominated by advertising images and how we can put other ideas and objects and images and stories into public space. And then the political landscape with the last two presidents being commercial branding success stories, Yeah, you know, how much advertising has really helped become a medium to shape our culture and our society. And so I've been focusing a lot on trying to use the language of advertising to apply it to new means of civic discourse. 
when you look at advertising, uh, particularly in this kind of modern media landscape, what responsibility do you think that advertising has in terms of the way that it portrays diverse communities? I mean, at, at best, I hope that advertisers are aware of what they're doing and can, to the best of their ability, have the best of intentions. Yeah. <laughs> Inherently, advertising, in order to advertise to a certain demographic or group, I have to make certain assumptions about everyone in that group and then try to speak to them in a way that really is based off of these generalizations. Um, an industry that's so heavily based on prejudice can only really reinforce that. Yeah. And every once in a while, it might be able to help evolve and contribute. But I found is that advertising can be a very powerful tool to look at a society's hopes and dreams at a given period of time, but also to find those markers of change. When you see new ways of representing people, that signifies a big change in the culture. I find it as a, a, a really fascinating medium, but I do think it being the most powerful and ubiquitous language in the world, you don't even necessarily have to speak a language to actually understand the ads or to decode them. I think it's too much of a one-way conversation, meaning advertisers are constantly speaking to us, but we tend to only speak to them in critique. So one of the things that's happened through popular culture and, and social media is that we've each become our own brands, yeah. you know, in a way. And, and many people have found ways to sell their own ideas and their own way of life through that. But also many advertisers have become kind of more sneaky and, you know, yeah. convincing us to uh, buy into their ideas through these, these certain people. Absolutely. And Emma, what if you're, um, as someone who is really on the front lines of social change every day through your work uh, with Four Freedoms, how do you see the opportunity for not only advertisers, but also artists to use advertising platforms as, as really vehicles for messaging and creating awareness and change? Yeah, well, I think billboards present a really interesting opportunity because we're so programmed to look at them and be told kind of what we see and what to think. And having artists kind of take over that medium allows us to rethink the way that we're being spoken to on a day-to-day -day by those who are in power around us. And when an artist takes that opportunity to rather than inflict their personal belief onto you, they take that opportunity to ask you a question visually where the public isn't necessarily expected to be running into those really important questions is the best way for them to interject into that conversation because people are going to be caught off guard. I'm with you. And so, Hank, you've built an incredible body of work with some amazing kind of initiatives from Cause Collective, Question Bridge, uh, Search of the Truth, just some, some really amazing and provocative pieces of art. What's kind of the connective theme or DNA of these, of these art, if, if they have one? Well, of my collaborative projects, I think the collective DNA is this desire to engage with the public, um, to try to put public in public art, and that it relies on the participation of dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people for the work to actually truly manifest. For me, that comes out of a desire to connect to strangers because I think we are conditioned to be afraid of one another uh, or value one another. And with collaborative art projects that engage in small ways or big ways with the public, we build bridges that can recognize the value of our connections. The impact of that, I think, has been 
you know, I think evident and reflective of that intention. Thanks. Now, you know, we talk about often with our guests this idea of this moment of obligation. Was there a point in your in your journey as an artist where you felt as though the work that you're doing in terms of the impact that you wanted it to make, where you said the things that I create have to uh, impact people, it has to create a certain type of change. Did you have that moment? And, and, and I'm curious if Four Freedoms was reflective of any of that. Yeah, well, I had that moment um, when I was uh, actually Emma's age, which is 20 years younger than I am. And I, unfortunately, my cousin was murdered in uh, Philadelphia. He was my roommate and my best friend and my big brother and like my real, my life plan. Yeah. I hadn't had much of a life plan besides following him. And having him fall victim to gun violence by the hands of teenagers who didn't know him, they were partaking in a robbery over um, petty commodities, forced me to realize a lot of things about myself, about our culture, society, uh, about gun violence, about, you know, why is it possible that certain commodities are more valuable to certain people than other people's lives? And art is one of those things. And so I think I had felt like if I was going to make art, so to speak, I felt like it had to mean something. Four Freedoms, you can say, is part of that, you know, that we started off as a super PAC run by artists. And we didn't really know what a super PAC was. And a super PAC is a type of political organization that is designed specifically to operate in the shadows and the crevices and uh, of the dysfunction of our political society. Uh, and what did it mean for us as artists to become part of that problem? So as much as I think it's interesting and necessary for us to be part of solutions, I think you have to first acknowledge that you're part of the problem, if only because you're not willing to engage with the problems. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we operated as a super PAC where we did uh, exhibitions, town halls, and billboards in about 20 states in 2016 um, in a nonpartisan way. And our goal was to try to put critical discourse into political discourse through fine art thinking, meaning that, as Emma mentioned, that fine artists are really trying to pose questions and often dis difficult questions, which is why so many people look at it and like, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, but even in saying I don't get it, you are, are somewhat getting it, you know, because it, if it's too easy to read on the first reading, then maybe you're not looking hard enough and you're not engaging with other people to help you find the answers. And so we feel like our political landscape is that way also where people just make really shallow, simple statements and don't really want to evolve and engage and ask challenging questions. And so we're now working on this 50 state initiative where we're uh, doing exhibitions, town halls and billboards and other activations in all 50 states from September to November of 2018. Wow. And, you know, I think one of the, uh, the incredible things about creating these platforms, such as what you're creating with, with Four Freedoms, is that it, 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 it gives people something to be a part of. And Emma, you were one of those people who saw what was happening with Four Freedoms and, and got really energized uh, by it. Tell us about your story. Tell us about how did you get connected and, and what your role is with it. Yeah, um, kind of a funny story. I first ran into the Four Freedoms Initiative. I was working at the Jack Shaneman Gallery where Four Freedoms held our first show and our first kind of HQ right before we ran that 2016 billboard project. 
um, and saw during my time there an advertisement for a town hall being held at ICP, um, the International Center for Photography here uh, in New York City, and went. And I linked up with Hank because during the discussion of the town hall, which was based upon freedom of speech, Hank and I actually disagreed upon something. I had mentioned something about the act of uh, speech, and Hank turned around and said, well, you know what I think about that? And afterwards, uh, handed me his email. What was the disagreement? What was the... the I like oh. to pick fights with people who are 20 years younger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Just, um, I am a white woman, and I was talking about how Yes, though, there should always be freedom of speech, how um, the balance of our speech is not equal and how some of us should maybe take a step back in order to allow other forms of speech yep. to happen. And uh, I think Hank felt a little differently because of where he comes from. And that's kind of the beauty of Four Freedoms is that we can disagree upon the minutia of these fundamental rights and still want to come together and have a conversation. Right. It's funny. I'd forgotten that conversation happened. <laughs> but I think you were saying as a white woman, you shouldn't be able to speak about certain issues or something like that. I think I was saying that we should shut up about certain things. Okay. My position was that I feel like we all need to listen and we all need to speak because I think there are a lot of times when people are quiet, when I wish they had said what they were really thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like to keep everyone engaged in the conversation is really important because otherwise a lot of can happen with what's left unsaid. And, and that's part of what everyone's trying to navigate, right? Is this, this idea of what voices should be heard and what's the truth that should be told. Uh, you know, we've, we've kind of come into this space uh, that some are talking about political correctness or all of these other things in which people in the public space are, you know, becoming increasingly afraid of saying the wrong thing. How do you create these spaces for this open dialogue and these conversations when there is such a, a fear of being offensive. What's really important is to create a space in which you understand that even if you say something that might be insensitive, as long as you're there to take the criticism and understand and listen to why it's insensitive, then you're welcome to make a mistake. Um, I know, like, as an individual myself, I've made so many mistakes growing up, especially um, saying things and <clears throat> believing things that just are inaccurate and saying things that would definitely offend somebody. But what you have to do is come at those issues with an open mind and be willing to change. Our project is very easy to criticize. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but that's also why we do it. You know, I think no artist starts a piece assuming that it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have to figure that out along the way. And who knows where it goes from here. And that's, we really want this to be an open source collaboration, open source project. And we want people to poke holes in it. Some people are like, oh, I can poke holes in it. So I don't want to participate. And we're like, no, yeah. poking holes in it is actually part of the participation. Yeah, We want to embrace the complexity. We want to challenge it. We want to understand how we, how to navigate it um, and recognize that that takes different people and different means. So one of the joys I have in the project is kind of finding people who feel like, oh, you got to pick a side because it's, it's critical. You have to pick a side now or, you know, what about what if you get money from this person and blah, 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 and trying to encourage them to think the bigger picture. And so we, we've been framing our project as anti-partisan instead of nonpartisan, which it triggers people because they think that means either apolitical, which is not serious, 
But instead, we're saying there's not just two sides to any issue. There's as many different perspectives as there are people. And so how do we start to think about the greater good in an intersectional way rather than in a kind of universal way? And, that, you know, I think that's such an important point. You know, I think democracy isn't delicate. Like, it requires participation, it requires being challenged, it requires those hard conversations. How do you navigate this idea of being anti-partisan, having these difficult conversations with institutions that may not be their default way or that it may be foreign to them and new to them, and with a lot of Americans who uh, feel as though they have to take a side? Well, whenever we get this question from partners, which often happens because we're working with institutions all across the country in D.C. and Puerto Rico, we have a lot of institutions who are backed by very conservative donors. We have a lot of institutions that are in very divided politically areas of the country. And what we always say at Four Freedoms is that citizenship should be defined by participation Mm. rather than partisanship. So... We're never here to tell you um, what to think or who to vote for. And our artists might have specific views on specific issues, but we want to emphasize at the end of the day that our country is stronger if everybody is in here and giving their input rather than sitting on the sidelines. Um, and whether that means we agree with you when you come into the conversation is a whole nother thing. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to control your speech. We're just trying to get you in the game. And, and it's also what are you for, not what are you against. Yeah. I think it's easy to be oppositional. Uh, it's much harder to say what we believe in. Like, I mean, if you believe in freedom, what, first of all, what, what is freedom? What is equality? And then, you know, how does that, how do your values mani- manifest that? You know, we did a town hall in Aspen, which is a fascinating place to do a town hall, uh, <laughs> uh, freedom of yeah. uh, speech and creativity and, and, and democracy. And at the end of it, someone said, I want freedom to care, to have as much guns, as much ammunition as I want. My cousin being a victim of gun violence, obviously I have a, a different relationship to guns than he does as far as my position is that, you know, I don't want more of any of those things. Yeah. But I don't necessarily believe that my desire should, you know, usurp his Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, since my cousin was murdered in 2000, over 200,000 Americans were shot and killed. And I'm sure you didn't want that to happen. Yeah. And so if you do, you know, want to have these weapons, but you also want people to be able to live full, healthy lives and not fall victim to gun violence, either through suicide, through criminal violence or sanctioned violence, I think we can have the conversation. And also recognizing that there's no final solution there every time you come up with a solution there's going to be a new problem to solve you know and so that's also something that we really are also trying to embed in it that like a lot of my values around certain social issues certain you know um, political issues have changed dramatically in the past five years and crazily in the past 20 years and not because I'm that different of a person it's just because you know Things are different. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to give ourselves permission to change moving forward. I want to be able to say that, like, I've evolved and I don't want to be outdated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of that evolution, it happens through exposure and it happens through interaction. And 
you know, that's why I, I think it's particularly interesting and important that a part of the work that you're doing brings people together for these conversations and that dialogue. Because in a lot of places, that's not happening on its own. We need to create this space where it's okay to not walk through the door with the same ideology. Um, and it's okay for us to walk outside um, after this without having the same ideology or background. But while we're here, let's open ourselves up to each other's experiences, points of view, and what have you. And that, I think, in itself is a, is a transformative experience for a lot of people. And so, I, you know, I, I think about that within the, the context of not just the nation overall, but particularly as it relates to this upcoming midterms, with the country being as polarized probably as it's as been before. Um, what do you want the impact of For Freedoms to be between now and, and those midterms? And how do you see these activities contributing to that, that, that outcome? I'll give a little background just for... People who don't know, we're working with right now, we have confirmed over 200 institutions in all 50 states plus DC to be working with us for decentralized activations between September 1st and November 6th, which is the midterm election. And these can take the form of exhibitions, town halls, um, public outdoor advertising campaigns. But a lot of our partners have gone above and beyond and really thought about new ways to civically engage their community and including concerts and um, art-making activities with different artists. Um, some museums have decided to have Four Freedoms tours. So that will be going on. And these institutions are anywhere from, you know, the San Francisco MoMA and the Brooklyn Museum to tiny arts collectives made up of three people in Paoli, Indiana, which is a center for uh, white supremacy in the country. So it's really like a really wide range of things that these partners are doing. But at the end of the day, we're trying to create this and instigate this national change in conversation of what art is able to do. What's really most important when you talk about this work with people is that we want to focus on uplifting your community rather than for freedoms coming in and, you know, curating a town hall or an exhibition, which we've done in the past for you know, shows in New York, we thought, well, the Plains Art Museum in North Dakota, I don't know what you guys should be talking about ahead of the midterm elections, but I want to empower this institution to be able to hold that conversation ahead of the midterms. We always have to work with the institution to see how we can best kind of improve their mission rather than impose our own. Um, somewhere where I've seen this, especially is with our work in Hawaii, out in Hawaii, there's an extremely different social, um, racial context than we have here on the mainland United States. And we're making sure that when we do collaborations with those institutions that we are passing the mic and we are really allowing local voices to be uplifted. And when we emphasize that that's what we want to do, that's when institutions really buy into our mission. And do you, has your experience been that organizations are hungry for this? It depends on the type of organization, but I would say largely, yeah, especially smaller. Well, you've got over 200. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we have over 200 institutions uh, totally confirmed. So there is, you know, a fair amount of hunger for this, but it's also, it's a great opportunity to kind of uplift smaller institutions and to connect larger ones together. I think educational institutions are especially excited by this opportunity. 
We have the ability to connect, you know, classes working on a billboard project at University of Nebraska to those doing another billboard project at Monument Lab, which is at University of Pennsylvania. And that's like a really cool thing for them to be able to experience. And yeah, I mean, I think nothing like this has ever happened before. And that's what, yeah. what drives us. And I'm, con- I'm talking I'm like, how do we how do we really get that that part out? Like, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And that's part of why we're doing it. We know that um, in order to continue to make our, our world a better place to, to help save our species, um, it is an all hands on deck kind of thing. We're going to make a lot of mistakes collectively because human nature is uh, self-destructive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we should have a good time doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is so. We, so we really are often like being like, yeah, like they're like because they they expect us to like. If I, it's more like coaching, we're like trying to encourage them to do what they do best with us yeah. and other people, because it's normally like, oh, I'm over here and I do this and this is my area and they're over there and they do this and this is their area and and so a lot of what we're trying to do is really kind of guide people through this process of self-realization because the, we see that the work that artists and art institutions do is civic work and it's really critical civic work that is underappreciated, which is why it's so often disregarded and, and uh, you know underfunded. And um, how do we start to help people to realize that literally creativity will save us yes. if we give it a chance? Yeah. Um. For those people that are out there who are really inspired right now to act and don't know what to do or where to go, how can they get involved with Four Freedoms? How, do, how can they be a part of this, this movement? You can reach out to Emma at fourfreedoms.org. <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends. If you would love to you know, do something with your community, you can reach out and figure out how to do that. Um, we're also looking into getting student chapters at more local universities. So if you're a student, um, starting a local chapter at your college is a great way to get involved and to spread for freedoms across the country. And also, you don't necessarily have to talk to us. We, we like it when we find out other people. Do, we've had other people do for freedoms projects and we just find out through Google alerts or like, oh, cool. Because <laughs> I, although because it isn't about if 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 things will rely on our approval. It is limited to our sensibility and our vision and creativity. And and uh, so like a larger hive mind is also part of what we want to, to create. And we are F-O-R freedoms, not F-O-U-F-R freedoms. So we are for freedoms that we don't even personally agree with. And that's how we can start to actually create this country that is, you know, united, <laughs> in a way that we talk about united we stand divided we fall um and that we can actually be like that's not my thing i don't even like it but um to the degree that it 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 continues to make space for us all to live our best lives and be our greatest individual selves acknowledging that we're our our individual selves is connected i think that is the the ultimate manifestation of of liberty is 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 recognizing that your individual choices, although yours, 
have a huge effect on everyone else you know and in turn you in ways that you may not even recognize. I love it. And when I end it with this, this last question, what, what is your hope for this country and, and how would you want for freedoms to have contributed to it? I hope for more nuance and conversation. I think that we're speaking very simply to each other all the time and that we write each other off on the first thing that we say or do that we disagree with each other about. Um, I really would love to see a world where, you know, progressives and conservatives aren't afraid to talk to one another. And I think it's important to recognize that the people who disagree with us maybe sometimes are more important to our growth than the people who agree with us. And I hope that 10 years from now we have clean water, (laughs) (laughs) that we're not in senseless wars, that people aren't struggling um, for basic needs and languishing in prison because they try to find alternative ways to get these opportunities that society hasn't um, provided. Uh, I hope that Four Freedoms is um, something totally different but totally exciting run by totally different people <laughs> um, or no one at all. Yeah. Um, but that we continue to be aspirational and that we continue to be visionary and not reactionary and that we don't build connections on weakness or, or fear instead on strength and positivity. So Afdel, what did you think about Hank and Emma? I, I really enjoyed speaking with them and came out, you know, with so much to think about. Yeah, this is one of the deepest interviews that that you've done and, and we've had on this podcast as well. One of the things that they really talked about that struck a chord with me was being anti-partisan. What I've been thinking about a lot is, especially today in America, how much the way somebody votes politically has almost become an instant reason to either align with them or to dismiss them. It's strange. I would never hate somebody on the basis of their religion, but I found myself having knee-jerk reactions to somebody based on the way they vote, which is completely nonsensical. It's only one part of who they are. And when you really peel back the, the onion, you know, and you look at what everybody wants, everybody wants safer neighborhoods. Everybody wants cleaner air, better jobs, better opportunities for our kids, you know, better schools. It's not rocket science, what everybody wants, but we've become so polarized as a country. And, and this, by the way, is happening all around the world where we are becoming partisan and the label of, of how, how we vote is becoming the defining label of who we are. And what I really like about Hank and Emma's work is how they challenge that and say, listen, there's a whole world beyond that. And let's try to find that common ground uh, on the basis that there are more things that join us together than divide us. Yeah, in this idea of dialogue, like real dialogue, where we actually listen and we hear, and everyone that's part of the dialogue walks away with a deeper understanding of what the issues are, a, a deeper understanding of different perspectives, and an ability to take those different perspectives and process them and, and hold them. And, and not necessarily mean that we walk away with everyone agreeing with each other, but we do walk away with the ability to to understand each other a little bit better. And I think that that's really missing. And, and it's, you know, this country is, is feels extremely 
divided right now. You know, what Hank and Emma and, and Four Freedoms are doing is they're creating these spaces. But I think what they're doing that's particularly important is that they are not coming in and working with these partners from a position of expertise. They're not going into these communities and saying, we know better, but they're going in and listening and saying, I respect that you know more than I do about this community, about your world and about these issues. And I want to learn about how to best engage you and others in this. It's is so powerful. Yeah, it's something Emma Emma said, which struck me, which was there's we're lacking nuance right now. There's no ability to find the nuance in conversation. It's just very strident and very polemic and very just, you know, didactic. And that's not how democracy works. You need to create space where people can hear the kind of subtleties in somebody's argument instead of instantly dismissing them you know, through a soundbite or through talking points or just through kind of steamrolling over them. I agree. And, and you know, I'm curious, you know, you've, you've spent, you know, a large part of your career working for huge brands that spend tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising. Where do you see the opportunity for advertising to, and advertisers to potentially play in this space? And what do you think about this idea of, all of this uh, prime real estate that advertisers have been using for all of these years um, being turned into spaces for public art. Well, I, I think that, you know, great brands understand how to use culture, you know, and sometimes they're ahead of culture, sometimes they're behind culture, sometimes culture drowns them out. Um, a, a great example I always hold up in terms of how a brand can actually, you know, move the needle forward uh, in terms of creating the right cultural context is the work that Absolute Vodka has done. I know I worked in Absolute for five years and one of the things I did was go back and look at the history of what the brand had done. And besides all the kind of contemporary art stuff it had done, it also really stuck its neck out in terms of social issues. So one of my favorite Absolute Vodka ads was from 2007 and it's a picture of a cheering crowd at a hockey game and they're cheering what the jumbotron is saying something like steve will you marry me ed that ad coming out in 2007 well before any of these other brands started championing marriage equality was really a testament to a brand speaking to the lgbtq audience and saying we see you and we support you and we support your right to do it and by publicly coming out and as a brand using its its creative muscle and marketing muscle to to signal that this was a cultural shift that was okay. They were able to help start changing the narrative. Done right, brands can do a lot of good. So the negative about advertising, though, and the negative about brands is how they've been used to allowed to use public space, and how they've been you know allowed to kind of almost pollute city centers by just the sheer amount of billboards and commercial advertising. And you have well-known artists like Banksy who pointedly hack ads to point out this hypocrisy that corporations have been allowed to take over uh, public space, but artists aren't, and they're treated as vandals. And what Hank and Emma are doing are almost flipping the tables and, and turning the, the infrastructure of advertising. I think there's something really powerful about the the relationship between advertising and art 
being replaced by each other um, at, at different points. And it's really interesting to think about what what our society needs right now for art to be. And it, and it is really interesting about this idea that art being a catalyst for critical discourse. But I think what Hank and Emma and For Freedoms is doing is taking it to the next level and saying, now that art has sparked it, how can we also take this level of critical discourse and move it to the next phase of what's in, of of what is top of mind, which is politics? Yeah, I think it. There's there's one line which I think Hank said, which struck with me, which is creativity will save us if we give it a chance. You know, so I think what they're trying to do is not just use creativity and artists to spark the conversation, but then also use it to spark creativity in people and and how we solve those problems. Because that is really the secret to it. That's how you get past the sound bites and the, the bubbles and things like that, is where you have somebody who's able to come up with a creative solution that bridges that seemingly, you know, unbridgeable divide. It starts with people and it starts with people being creative about what they can do themselves. This program was brought to you by Good Is The New Cool and Soul House in association with Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Bobby Jones, and after Laziz. It features the fantastic Hank Willis-Thomas and Emma Nusso. Keep in touch with us on social media via at Good Is The New Cool. Make sure you subscribe to the Good Is The New Cool podcast wherever you go to listen to your favorite podcast today. If you want to know more, please go to goodisthenewcool.org.